0: 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 13, that's where we're going to spend our time today. Uh, Today's sermon, just a warning, uh, might not be relevant to you. The greatest good in all of modern preaching is relevant messages. And and that usually gets a headline on a website somewhere, but I'll just just be upfront with you. This sermon might not relate well to your life. If you don't have any problems, if you don't need any strength, any encouragement, any direction from Jesus, then this just might be a total waste of your time. But for the rest of us, 2 Timothy takes people in all of our weakness and gives us an audience with Jesus. This letter is written by Paul, a man who is dying in a jail cell in weakness, And it's written to Timothy, a man who is living in weakness. And today, this letter is for the people of God who are well acquainted with difficulties of many kinds. Now, if you were with us last week, you heard Mark Jennings uh, preach on the second half of chapter 1. And he pointed to chapter 1, verse 8, as the key verse for that chapter. And he's spot on. Verse 8 in chapter 1 is the linchpin for chapter 1 and it has profound ripple effects on into chapter 2. I just want you to glance at it with me since you've got your Bible open there already. Chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. So that seems good on the outset, but, but think about this. Paul writes to a weak man and to a weak church, and he tells us, share in suffering for the gospel. That seems a little counterintuitive. If we were writing the letter, we might say, you're going to make it, kid. You're going to be all right. Just dig deep, and you can do it. You've got the strength to power through. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul says to a weak church and people acquainted with all kinds of trials, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Paul's point in chapter 1 and his point in the passage we're studying today is that suffering and hardship, they're the steady state of the Christian life. Yes, there's power and deliverance and glory and joy and love and elation and all of those things, but all of that on this side of eternity is lived out in a world that is decaying under the weight of sin in bodies that are marked by the curse of sin. So we endure suffering in two different ways. We, we encounter it, one, because we live in a world marred by sin, and two, because of the unique suffering that comes with loyalty to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As someone who proclaims Jesus is Lord, you set yourself up For a certain type of resistance and pushback. And we see that pushback growing day by day in the culture around us. So we face suffering just because we're alive on planet earth. And we face a unique difficulty in that Christ is our Lord and we give allegiance to no other. In light of this, we're called to suffer for the sake of the gospel in the power of God. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about suffering? Well, Paul has a specific type of suffering in mind here when he addresses Timothy. You see, in Timothy's instance, the suffering he endures is resistance to the gospel. Remember, he's a church leader. He's a pastor-type guy. And as he tries to sow the Word of God, invest the Word of God into the lives of his people, he's getting all kinds of pushback. And this has been going on for years in his city, Ephesus. Over and over again, he has... Powerful people who resist and push back, who mar the gospel. It's enemies from within the church, who have ties in the church, who go against Timothy. That's his type of suffering. And in our context, it, we can endure that same type of suffering. There's increasing resistance to the words and the way of Jesus in the world around us. But suffering can also look like many other things. The suffering that Paul speaks of here, I would say, is any hardship that threatens our faith in Jesus Christ. Any trial, personal or otherwise, that would shake the foundation of our faith, whose outcome could possibly be not just a weakening of our faith, but a refuting of our faith. It could be personal difficulties of many kinds, sin, doubts fears, grief. What's the alternative to suffering for the gospel and relying on the power of God? Well, it's choosing a path of seemingly lesser resistance and walking away from Christ. It happened in chapter one. Hymenaeus and phygellus are two examples of people who have walked away from the gospel. It happens today. Often, it happens today, often in the modern church. This is not just a first century issue. But it's not uncommon that people will face hardship. And as a result, their faith is not just fractured, but it crumbles. So chapter 2 continues to help us understand what it means to share in the suffering for the gospel. Those who would follow Jesus are are called to endure every hardship and to proclaim the gospel from within our hardships. So here's my goal today. My purpose in preaching this passage is to shape your suffering for Christ in such a way that you would endure every trial and that from within every trial you would make Christ known. You would be someone who endures in the power of Christ and proclaims the gospel of Christ no matter, no matter the hardship you're facing. So 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13 gives us two ways that Jesus empowers us in our suffering. I want you to follow along with me as I read chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul says to Timothy and to us, You, therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So I want to show you in this passage two ways Jesus empowers us in our suffering, two ways he shapes our experience of suffering. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. Jesus gives us endurance in every trial. Verses 1 through 7, Jesus gives us endurance in every trial. Uh, I take verses 1 through 7 to be a singular call to endurance. There's different facets to that endurance that I'll, I'll show you in just a moment. Uh, but I think altogether, verses 1 through 7, one singular call To endurance as we suffer for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Now, you don't have to treat verses 1 through 7 that way. You could approach it differently if you wish. You could approach it just by following the commands. In verses 1 through 7, there are four different commands to Timothy. In, In verse 1, the command is to be strong. In the grace of Jesus Christ. In verse 2, it's a command to commit these things to other faithful men. Uh, In verse 3, the command is to share in suffering. It's the same wording as we find in chapter 1, verse 8. And then in verse 7, the command there is for Timothy to consider or remember or recall what Paul has said to him. So you could sit down with your Bible open and a blank sheet of paper and just track those commands. And let that set the structure for you for the first part of this passage. You could do that. The way I'm treating it today is, as I said, verses 1 through 7, one unit, a singular unit that focuses on endurance. And then these commands are different facets or different reflections of our endurance. So Paul gives us in these seven verses, he, he gives us four tools to help us with our endurance. The first tool in verse 1 is strength. Look at verse 1 with me. To Timothy, he says, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. If you're reading 2 Timothy, I think chapter 2, verse 1, is a great place to read slow. To do on every word and to feel the warmth and intimacy of Paul for his young protege, Timothy. You. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Timothy needs that strength. He has access to strength. The strength doesn't come from himself, though. That strength is found where it's found, in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Did you know that no one in the Bible is strong apart from God? Not one. You might say, what about Samson? He had long hair and he was strong. Samson's strength was not in his hair length. His strength was in his covenant fidelity with Yahweh. When he broke that covenant, he lost his strength. God gave him strength. God took that strength away. Had nothing to do with the trip to uh, Great Clips. Had everything to do with God. God gave him that strength and took it away. You might say, well, what about David and Goliath? Goliath. When David faced down Goliath, he didn't do it in the strength of a shepherd boy. He did it in the strength of God. Whenever we approach that story as some sort of analogy for facing our giants, it, it just makes my flesh crawl because it, it's, it's calling us to, to, uh, to a strength we find in ourselves. That story has nothing to do with David's find, David finding inner strength. has everything to do with David and his covenant loyalty with Yahweh. He's going to walk with God even in the face of a giant and an army. So no one in the Bible has strength in and of themselves. It only comes from God. And God's people have always been given access to his omnipotent strength. Paul tells Timothy this strength comes from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is grace? What are we talking about there? Well, it's God's unmerited favor to us. That strength isn't something Timothy's earned. It's something Jesus gives. And think about the grace that Jesus has already given to Timothy, that Jesus has already given to you. He is God in the flesh. He came to us and he walked on this planet and he laid down his life for our sin. If Jesus in his grace would give his life and then rise again three days later and save all those who believe in him, Won't he also help you in every trial you face? Why would we think, oh, he will save me, but he will not help me? He's done the greater thing already in rescuing you from your sin. So be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Brother and sister Christian, you don't have any reason to fear. You've got the strength of God on your side. Those who rest in the grace of Jesus have more strength than they realize, and that's the strength that endures every trial. A second tool that Paul gives to Timothy, gives to us to help us in our endurance, is what I would call multiplication. In verse 2, multiplication. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, when Timothy's faithfulness to the gospel results in suffering, he's not to withdraw the gospel in order to find comfort. In fact, he is to advance with the gospel, planting the word of God into the hearts of the people around him and multiplying teachers in the family of faith. The gospel has brought me suffering. I'm going to raise up more people who will suffer for the sake of the gospel. That's what Paul calls us to do in verse 2. Now, depending on what translation of the Bible you have, your verse 2 may look a little different than the one that I've read this morning. This translation uh, that I'm using is called the CSB. And in verse 2, Paul tells Timothy uh, to commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you have an ESV, you'll also find the phrase Faithful men. Commit these things to faithful men. If you have a newer NIV, it says faithful people, not men, people. Well, which is right? This is not a question of whether you're liberal or conservative in your approach to the Bible. Uh, This is about what does the text give us. Well, in the CSB, there's a beautiful little footnote. And if you follow that footnote to the bottom of the page for verse 2, it says this, that an acceptable Alternative translation is people. Commit to faithful people these things that they might teach others also. Uh, It depends on whether you think Paul is telling Timothy to train up elders or just train up the church. Either way, people are the intended target of the teaching. But Paul doesn't use the word for elders in verse 2. He doesn't use presbyteros. That's the Greek word. He uses anthropos he uses the word for people generic general and plural and so i think paul says here commit these things to faithful people it's the same thing paul's already told timothy way back in first timothy that he's to pour into older men and younger men older women and younger women to train up people in the gospel of jesus christ for the sake of the church's mission So Timothy is to continue pouring himself into the lives of others so that the gospel can be transmitted from person to person to person. Now sometimes in church life, uh, people will step out of leadership or service roles during difficult personal times. And those decisions are always made with prayer and with wisdom. But Paul tells us that there are some times When even though we are going through intense personal trials, we should still be investing the Word of God into the lives of others. Your suffering could be the perfect platform for service to the kingdom of God. I heard a preacher say once, a quote that I love, that even in God's garden, broken trees bear fruit. So in our hardship, in our trials, it's not time for us to retreat, but to advance with the gospel. This is how we endure. There's a third tool that Paul gives to Timothy and to us, and that third tool are these pictures of endurance. He gives Timothy three snapshots to help him put some sort of shape around endurance and what it looks like in our suffering. The the first is a soldier. Share in suffering like a good soldier. Now, Paul doesn't reference here the soldier's weaponry or the soldier's cunning or the soldier's bravery, but what makes the good soldier in this instance? He lives to please his commanding officer. He doesn't get lost in the riffraff of civilian life, all the lower little squabbles. His focus is on his commanding officer and his command and pleasing the one who has given him these orders. He tells him, to share in suffering like an athlete. But for the athlete, Paul's not talking about the athlete's power or muscle or ability, but rather the athlete wins because the athlete follows the rules. Isn't that kind of weird? For those of us in an economy of grace, we might bristle a bit and say, ah, sounds kind of legalistic. We'll just read past that really fast and act like it's not there. But this is not a call to legalism. This is a call to obedience. And that is perfectly in line with the God of grace because this is how God always works. God delivers and then God demands. Think about the Exodus. Deliverance at the Red Sea came first. This beautiful act of God's grace. And then God's demands and his word were given to his people at Mount Sinai. So I'm gonna deliver you in grace and then I'm gonna show you how to walk forward with me. In holiness. That's how God always works. Deliverance comes before demand. Uh, um, rescue comes before requirement. And here it is, Timothy, you're strong in the grace of Jesus Christ and suffer like an athlete who follows the rules to win the race. Don't use your suffering as an excuse for sin. Don't say, well, God's been unfair to me, and so I'll just I'll indulge my flesh, do what I want to do. Rather, in those moments, it's time for us to bring our lives into greater alignment with the Word of God. That's how we endure. Be a good soldier. Be an athlete who follows the rules. The third picture is of a farmer. The farmer works hard, and as a result, he gets to enjoy the harvest first. So Paul's used a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer to tell Timothy that in our suffering for the gospel, we serve for the joy, the glory of Jesus Christ, living in the gracious boundaries of his word because this is the life that Jesus blesses abundantly. There's one final tool that Paul gives us to help us endure and that tool is Christ's wisdom. In verse seven, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So this, first of all, this should be the life verse for every student. (laughs) Your prayer before every test, Lord Jesus, give me understanding in everything, especially chemistry. Please help me with this. Um, But for Timothy, he doesn't need to feel the pressure to understand every little bit of this in the here and now. Paul promises him, look, the wisdom, the discernment of Christ is with you day by day. You may not understand it now, but think on these things, and Christ will give you understanding Do you have things about your life that you don't understand and you don't have answers for today and you wonder what the next few steps are going to be like? Think about what we have here from Paul and know that Christ will give you understanding in all these things. So how does Jesus then help us endure our trials for the sake of the gospel? That's what Paul's given us here. Well, he gives us strength in his grace. He helps us multiply ourselves as we put the gospel in others. He blesses us to live for his glory according to his word. And he helps us day by day with wisdom and discernment. And you might say, oh, my word, that's a lot, Busby. And I would say, that's the point, friend. Look, when you go through these trials, you have the total warehouse of heaven at your disposal. And you don't have to beg for it. You don't have to plead with Jesus. You don't have to find the magic prayer, do the special thing, achieve a certain level of holiness. When Christ is yours, all of these are yours as well. His strength, his grace, his wisdom, his help all belongs to you when you belong to Christ. That's why it's such a beautiful thing to be saved by grace through faith, to believe in Christ, to anchor our lives in him, knowing that he doesn't just rescue us from a fiery hell. He saves us for eternity and for this day, day by day, helping us in all that we face and endure. This is how we make it through for the sake of the gospel. So, Christian, you don't have to ever wonder, am I going to make it? Am I going to get through this? You don't have to worry about that because you have Christ, your Savior, outfitting you day by day and step by step. Followers of Jesus suffer with endurance given by Jesus Christ. There's a second way in this passage that Jesus empowers us in our suffering. And that second way is this. Jesus gives us a voice in every trial. He gives us endurance in every trial. I mean, What really are we going to face that is greater than Christ? Not a thing. So he gives us endurance in every trial, and he gives us a voice in every trial, verses 8 through 13. So sharing in the suffering of the gospel means that regardless of the trials we face, we're going to tell, we're going to speak, proclaim the incredible story of Christ's death death, and resurrection for the salvation of those who hear and believe. The verses 8 through 13 together are a call to proclaim the gospel, especially in the midst of difficulties. So Paul gives Timothy and he gives to us three simple memories to help us share the gospel even in our hardships. The first memory is a memory of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel. So remembering Jesus in verse 8, I think it accomplishes two purposes, motivation and mission. It's motivation. Remembering Jesus in our suffering for the gospel is motivation for us to hold firmly to him in faith. Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead. If he's risen from the dead, he had to get dead first. And so anytime we remember the resurrection, we remember the cross, we remember his sufferings, the humiliation, the mocking, all that he endured to accomplish our salvation. Remember Jesus, risen from the dead, descended from David. Descended from David, he is a man in flesh, the fulfilled promise, uh, the Messiah who's come to rescue but he's in the flesh, the person who really suffered and really died, who rose from the dead. He's God who accomplishes our salvation through his death and resurrection. Remember Jesus, risen from the dead, descended from David. It's motivation for us to keep going, but it's also our mission. You see, remembering Jesus for the suffering saint is not just a mental exercise, it is a vocal exercise exercise we remember jesus when we speak of him when we share the gospel from a context of hurt and sorrow we remember jesus paul gives a second memory to help us proclaim the gospel that second memory it's a memory of paul he holds himself up as an example to be followed christ is an example paul also uh, is an example because he also remembers jesus He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David, according to my gospel. Verse 9, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul remembers Jesus. That's why he suffers as he does to the point of being bound like a criminal. It doesn't matter what kind of restraints are on Paul, the gospel of Jesus Christ is never restrained. And so Paul's telling Timothy, look, Timothy, the gospel never fails, no matter what it costs you. It may cost you your freedom. Paul is not the sole prisoner for Christ. There may be others who have to endure this for the sake of the gospel. And if you do, Timothy, don't worry. The word of God is unbound. They can imprison you, They can kill you and still the gospel of Jesus Christ will advance ferociously, saving all those who hear and believe on Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verse 10 that he's content to endure prison, why? For the elect, so that they may obtain salvation. Paul will stop at nothing to proclaim the gospel and to see people saved. I think if we were able to ask Paul, Paul, why are why are you in jail? I think he might say, God has placed me here to preach Christ. This is my new congregation. These bars are my pulpit. I've got a story to tell. And don't we see over and over in Paul's imprisonments, his faithfulness to proclaim the gospel before rulers and before prison guards and fellow prisoners. Wherever Paul is, he is a pest with the gospel. He's always telling people about Jesus Christ. In fact, the very end of the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison sharing the gospel continuously. Did you know that? The very last verse of the book of Acts, Paul is on house arrest for two years in Rome. The last verse of Acts tells us that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The word of God is never bound. What an example we have in Paul of one who proclaims the gospel while suffering for the gospel. Here's the question it would put in front of us. Do we love the lost enough to suffer for them? Would we give up our comforts so that others might hear the gospel And be saved for an eternity through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy and us, remember Christ. Remember my example. And he gives him one final memory. It's a memory of Christ's faithfulness. And it comes in the form of a statement of faith. In your Bible, uh, verses 11, 12, and 13 are probably offset a little bit from the rest of the passage. It's almost like these are song lyrics. They they might have been part of an ancient hymn. Uh, I think they're certainly part of an ancient statement of faith. Now, Paul and Timothy, they weren't so ancient. They were relatively new. But still, here we have these words that the people of God are trained to memorize and repeat as a way of strengthening them in their suffering. Look at verse 11. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Can you imagine? Children and adults alike are taught to commit this to memory. So that when authorities come and they tell you to quit mentioning the name of Jesus, or they accuse you of being an atheist because you deny all these gods for the sake of one God, or they make up crimes to pin on you that you would say this trustworthy saying, if I die with him, I will live with him. If I die with him, I will live with him. Here's this strength over and over again in the heart of the suffering Christian. If I die with him, I will live with him. If I endure, I will reign with him. The church built on this theology of suffering. And it's such beautiful paradoxes that if I die, I will live. If I suffer, then I will reign in glory forever and ever. And look, if death and suffering are settled, then what do we have to fear? What's left? There's nothing left but for us to walk in the power of the gospel and to make Christ known. Now, there's a warning in this statement of faith in verse 12. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Again, in both letters to Timothy, we have examples of that happening. Hermogenes, Phygelus, Back in First uh, Timothy chapter one, we've got a couple of other examples. We're going to meet another guy. Uh, well, Alexander is mentioned in First Timothy and at the end of Second Timothy. Examples of people who have denied Christ. But then, verse thirteen, here's this beautiful promise to every hurting Christian: If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. We might get hung up here because we might equate denying Jesus in verse 12 with faithlessness in verse 13. They are not the same. Denying Jesus is a repudiation of Christ, a rebuking of faith, a walking away entirely, an evidence that we never believed to begin with. Faithlessness admits the weakness of every Christian Those who throughout the ages have endured persecutions of every intensity for the sake of Jesus Christ. Or even those of us who deal with difficulties that might seem like to a lesser degree, but still it's intense, it hits home, and there our faith wavers. He's not looking for soldiers who never shake, who never tremble. He knows our faithlessness. He knows our doubts and fears. And in the face of all of that, Jesus is always faithful. And someone's got to hear that today and believe the Word of God on this point. You think that because of your doubts or your weakness or your failures that God has turned on you. I'm telling you, you may be faithless, but Jesus is always faithful. Believe the Word of God and let the picture and the knowledge of his faithfulness be strength and courage for you to trust again to believe more to walk in line with his word so how do we practically how do we practically share the gospel in the midst of trials I'll give you a simple tip that I think we can take from verses 8 through 13 that can help us. This sharing in the gospel that we might proclaim, sharing in suffering that we might proclaim the gospel, it requires a verbal witness. It's, it's more than just being a living example. It's you and I speaking the name of Christ and the gospel of Christ in the midst of our difficulties. So, I, I simply want to encourage you to inject Jesus naturally into your everyday storytelling and conversations. Every day this week, you will exchange information with another human being. They'll ask, How was your weekend? How was your vacation? How are you feeling? What did you hear from the doctor? How are your kids? You ready for school? There's going to be some exchange of information, and there you have the perfect opportunity to leverage that conversation towards Jesus Christ. And you don't do it like an aggressive weirdo. Hey, how was your weekend? The Lord reigns! Be a friend. Be nice. Be normal. And be marked by Christ when you do all of that. And you might, the Lord reigns might be an appropriate start to your weekend story. I want to hear that story. It's true. But still, in those simple conversations, especially when you're sharing updates about hard things you've been facing, let them know how you've trusted Christ. Let them know how Christ has answered prayer. Let them know how he gives you courage to move forward. Although you don't know what the doctor's gonna say, you don't know how it's gonna be when your kid goes to college, you don't know what it's gonna be like when you go to college, you don't know what it's gonna be like when you start middle school, let them hear and see Jesus in you. A friend told me this story this past week and it immediately made me think of this passage. Uh, he said that he was speaking with a coworker and in their place of work, you don't, you don't talk about faith, uh, but the coworker was telling him how she was going through a difficult time, and he said to her, uh, "I don't know if you're the praying type, but but I am. And when I pray to Jesus this week, I want to pray for you and your family uh, that He'll give you strength in what you're going through." And his coworker said to him, "Wait, are you a Christian?" And he said, "Yes." And she said, "So am I. We're the only two Christians in this building of 700 people. We gotta to stick together." just naturally leveraging conversations towards Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to suffer with the gospel on our lips. So don't tell of hardship without telling of the faithfulness of Christ. Don't tell a story without leveraging it towards the goodness of God. And let me give you this advice also. Tell your family this. At my funeral, make much of Christ. Let that be a way, for in a season of sorrow and hardship, Christ is exalted and the gospel is heard. So Paul has called us in verses 1 through 13 to suffer for the gospel with the endurance given by Christ and by proclaiming the gospel. Suffering is shaped in this way, we endure in all that Christ gives us. It's shaped in this other way, we're storytellers. We're gospel proclaimers. We're remembering Christ and Paul's example, an unbound gospel, and we're going to tell the story of Christ. So Paul raises the bar of our understanding of suffering in chapters 1 and 2. Oftentimes we may think of suffering Christians as pitiful souls, but what if we're wrong? What if those who suffer actually are the recipients of God's greatest blessing? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor and theologian and writer. He was killed by Nazis at the close of World War II. And in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, he writes the following about Christian suffering. While it's true that only the suffering of Christ himself can atone for sin, and that his suffering and triumph took place for us, yet to some... Who are not ashamed of their fellowship in his body. He gives the immeasurable grace and privilege of suffering for him as he did for them. No greater glory could he have granted to his own. No higher privilege can the Christian enjoy than to suffer for Christ. Blessed is he whom God deems worthy to suffer for the body of Christ. Such suffering is joy indeed. Enabling the believer to boast that he bears the dying of Jesus Christ. In the marks of Christ in his body. And so may it be said of us that we have suffered well by enduring in the strength of Christ and telling the story of Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Uh, Father, I believe that so many of us have come in here limping today. We've come in here <laughs> shipwrecked, so to speak. And how good is your word and your grace to meet us at our point of need? So our need is great and your provision is limitless. Let our experience of hardship and especially that hardship that comes with gospel fidelity, be a platform in which the gospel is lived and preached. Make preachers of us. Let relationships be our pulpits. Give us your eyes that even in our hardest day, we would see the glory that belongs to all those who walk with you. Thank you for these promises that we can hold fast to, that one day we will reign with you in glory. I'm grateful that these lessons on suffering have a shelf life, that it lasts just for this moment, this brief life of ours, and we won't have to carry these lessons into eternity, but we will carry the song and the praise and the glory that belongs to you because of how we've seen you rescue us and equip us for the work at hand. God, I pray that you would uh, empower us in our witness, give us, um, give us a cleverness in the way we talk about our faith so that we would pivot people towards you that we would do all these things for the sake of the elect, that they would hear the gospel and they would come to salvation. And Lord, thank you for all that you give us to endure in our hardships. I know I've got brothers and sisters here this morning who are going through tremendous trials, others not here who are in the pit. But Lord, even there you meet us and you lift us and you carry us. We thank you for all that is ours through the grace of Jesus Christ. I ask that even this morning you would awaken hearts to salvation in this room, that those who have heard of the difference of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, the way he gives us freedom over sin and rescues us from hell, that they would put their faith in him. Make that call clear. Make that voice uh, undeniable that they would trust in you for their salvation. Thank you for your word and your presence.